Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. It's March 25th, the end of the reign of the Pisces, and our last show in March, Women's History Month. Tonight on Full Circle, the Piscean women of First Voice Media and the Piscean women of the world, like Nina Simone, who you heard at the top of the show, are gracing you with our Piscean goodness. The Pisces woman is a multidimensional character, and in this next hour, we're going to explore her multiple facets. But we're not just looking up at the stars. We're also looking out to other Piscean women with a commentary by Zakia, and we take a ritual rewind with a look at Jewish intermarriage. Tonight's show is 100% produced and hosted by Pisces women, and we say welcome. Yep. There's plenty of fish out there in the sea tonight, and the Pisces have taken over full circle. Stay tuned. And I'll the pine, you know how I feel. Cause freedom is mine, and I know how I feel. Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA. You're listening to a whole hour of programming hosted and produced by the Pisces women of First Voice Media for our last show in the House of Pisces and Women's History Month. I'm one of your hosts this evening, Vika Aronson. I'm another one of your hosts, Pisces host, Sakia, <laughs> G-E-K part. And I'm yet another host. This evening, I will... <laughs> That's Joy Moore, everyone. Yeah, Joy will, Moore, everybody. I'm Joy Moore. Thanks, I, Thanks Joy. <laughs> while some insist that it is still the age of Aquarius, many tropical astrologers believe that we are currently living in the age of Pisces. Another fun fact for those unfamiliar with the Zodiac, the ruling planet for Pisces is Neptune, and Pisces are said to have certain traits in common. That's right, Zakia. And one of those traits is that we are intuitive. And you know what they say about a woman's intuition. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and one very intuitive Pisces is our co-host, Joy Moore. Joy is going to speak with astrology, uh, sorry, going to speak astrology with a woman who I'm sure you'll all, whose voice I'm sure you all will recognize. She's visionary activist Caroline Casey. Before we speak with Caroline, though, we're going to listen to a commentary Joy prepared for those who may not be very familiar with astrology. I am Pisces, born in the year of the dragon. According to the Chinese zodiac, my personality is enthusiastic, confident, intelligent, ambitious, hardworking, and straightforward. Wow, that truly does sound like me. I'm best suited for careers as a journalist and teacher, both of which I am. And the website China Highlights goes on to say, dragons are gifted with innate courage, tenacity, and intelligence, and are enthusiastic and confident. They are not afraid of challenges and will take risks. This truly sounds like I wrote this, but I didn't. On the other hand, 
According to the website Zodiac Signs Astrology, the last sign of the Zodiac is Pisces. The Pisces personality is hard to pin down. They have extreme compassion and feel the pain of others. If something is wrong in the world, it affects them deeply. They take it to heart and have extreme feelings about things. When they are happy, they are extremely happy. And when they are sad, they are extremely depressed. Pisces is the sign of mysticism, mystery, and the spiritual unknown. Pisces lives in two worlds the real world and the spiritual or mystical world, where they interpret what they see into what they want. This too sounds like me. Again, wow. I have believed in astrology since I was very young and my grandmother would read the daily horoscope to me. I was fascinated by the notion that who and what I was is influenced by where the celestial bodies were when I was born. I have always had a heightened sense of the importance of time and space and marvel at the manifestation of celestial power exhibited in moon tides and menstruation. But in the broader sense, astrology is a search for human meaning in the sky. It seeks to understand general and specific human behavior through the influence of planets and other celestial objects. It has been argued that astrology began as a study as soon as human beings made conscious attempts to measure, record, and predict seasonal changes by reference to astronomical cycles. It is the study of influence of stars and planets on each individual's lives and play a major role in shaping personality and future. It is a 5,000-year-old study of the influential effects of the sun, moon, stars, and planets on events on Earth, and horoscopes are predictions or insights into our lives. Astrology aids in discovering our innate power to create each day and design destiny by merging ancient wisdom with practical living. The history of astrology encompasses a large span of different cultures and human history. In African astrology, there are 12 signs. Though the African astrological signs are quite different from Western, Indian, and Chinese signs. Africans believe that human life evolved in Africa, so they consider African civilization to be the oldest civilization, which gave birth to the science of stars, invented names of planets, and the study of astrology. African zodiac signs are based upon ancestral symbols of African culture and are likely to focus on the strengths and weaknesses possessed by the individual and allows us to be able to understand life in a different light and thus provide a path for improvement. Some Western scholars believe astrology originated in China about the third millennium BC. Its system is based on astronomy and calendars. Chinese astrology has a close relation with Chinese philosophy, i.e. the theory of harmony between heaven, earth, and water, and uses the principles of yin and yang, concepts of balance that are not found in Western astrology. In the Indo-European cultures, until the 17th century, astrology was considered a scholarly tradition and it helped drive the development of astronomy. It was commonly accepted in political and cultural circles, and some of its concepts were used in other traditional studies, such as alchemy, meteorology, and medicine. By the end of the 17th century, however, emerging scientific concepts in astronomy were underlying the theoretical basis of astrology, which subsequently lost its academic standing. In the 20th century, astrology gained broader consumer popularity through the influence of regular mass media products such as newspaper horoscopes, songs made about astrology, the age of Aquarius comes to mind, and a popular pickup line in movies was, hey baby, what's your sign? 
and the hippie generation elevated the study of astrology to new heights. Today, there are still many questions about the belief and certainty of astrology. The appreciation of astrology resides deep in right-brain territory. Analogical thinking, symbols and patterns, synchronicity, subjective meaning, etc. Attempts at scientific analysis often turn messy and ambiguous. Even defining what a prediction is and what exactly constitutes positive direction, success, failure, etc. can be surprisingly challenging. It's a bit like trying to quantify how good a piece of music is. However, I strongly believe that if people believe a thing to be true, then for them, it is. This has been Joy Moore for Full Circle. Thank you for that, Joy. You know, I was caught up in that music during my daydreaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting doing that, the research for it, and I learned a lot about astrology that I didn't know. But now I'm so excited. We're joined on the phone by the host of KPFA show, The Visionary Activist Network, a show that marries spiritual magic and compassionate social activism. And I'd like to welcome Caroline Casey to the air. Yay. Thank hey, you. how are you? Uh, all the better for speaking with you, embodied Pisces women. <laughs> <laughs> At the best time ever in history to be a Pisces. Oh. Wow. Okay. Why do I feel good? Mm, I feel great about I get, that. <laughs> I get to be a kind of honorary Pisces. I'm a, I'm a dragon also, but with the sun conjunct Neptune, so it kind of counts. I'll skid in. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, no, the reason is, you know, Neptune and, and Jupiter, you know, Pisces are incarnation of Neptune and Jupiter, the story of the deep. Mm-hmm. But uh, right now, Neptune goes around every 165 years, and it's how a culture tells itself its own story through images and music. And so for the first time in 165 years, it's in its home realm of Pisces. Mm. So it whispers in all of your ears into the Pisces part of everybody listening out there. It says, imagine that the deepest, most exiled, most shamed, most whatever it is, uh, is about to be completely welcome. Mm. Uh, so we go, uh, yes. We, we want that. Um, uh, so it, it whispers in your, <clears throat> in your ear and says, you know, welcome. And, and, and we can all just take a big <clears throat> sigh of relief going, Whew, you, you know, you made it. We made it. We made it to the right climate to address the climate, you know, where absolutely your beautiful introduction, Joy. Um, yeah, what, what a great and beautiful language. Now called to its highest, its highest deal, really. Um, you know, we want to, we, we say strategic cultural advantage goes to those cultivating intimacy with the power of myths and symbols. And we go, that's Pisces, that's Pisces. Um, <laughs> and that's why when we look out at the the world and the ridiculous uh, and, and beautiful and complex uh, election, uh, we go, yeah. no, we're, we're scanning for the mythological, scanning for the mythological. Did you all see the sparrow land on Bernie Sanders' podium? When no. No. I have oh, heard. Oh, you gotta you gotta check it out. Um, there's a there. It's huge. It's like ten thousand people, and they all go ooh. And there's this bird, and that lands near Bernie, and he goes ooh. I bet that bird doesn't know what it's doing, and it immediately flies to his podium, and the audience goes wild, and it just stays there while he delivers the sermon. <laughs> he says, "I think there may be some symbolism here. You know, even though it's a brown sparrow, it's the dove asking." for world peace, no more wars. Right. And the crowd goes wild, and the sparrow sits there until he's done, and then it flies away. It's just fabulous. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's the mythic news all over the place. 
Um, you know, so, you remind uh, me of the fact that, um, even though we didn't mention it yet, but Pisces people generally have a very large imagination bank. <laughs> Their imagination is what we're all about. And I can only, I think the times we live in calls for imagination to be able to imagine some better outcome than what looks like it's going to be. You know well, what I mean? That, uh, but uh, but the, the, we're we're gonna we're gonna animate the desirable world with all of nature, and then uh, and then all together we're gonna pull the switch on the tracks of the reality train, right? Going, oh, we're moving over here. There we go into right. the Renaissance realm of of conscious kinship, and uh, yeah. So all those powerful metaphors are hopping up and down, eager to be animated. So that's. Wonderful. And yeah. that's one of the oh. things that drives me as a Pisces when people say, well, it's, that's just not done. That's not the way we do things. That's the worst thing to tell me. Because <laughs> I'm like, well, we, that doesn't mean we have to do that just because it hasn't been done. It needs to be done if it's never been done before. Exactly. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's like Kim Stanley uh, uh, Robinson, great science fiction writer, said, enough of the dystopian imagination. We're living that. You know, we we want uh, to cultivate the utopian imagination. Here we go. Here yeah. we go. How could it be? We, we look at the world and go, ah, you know, but then we go, oh, but here's the window. Here, here's the mirror. Uh, here's the window. Ah, and here's yeah. the door. Let's go. Um, <laughs> and, and then I got to say, it's, it's it's an honor to speak with you all briefly because it is Good Friday. We, you know, yeah. myths will use everything. Yeah. And Saturn is stationing today. And, of course, Easter comes from Ishtar. You know, it's the rebirth of the feminine. And... Um, and right now, Saturn stations looks like it's standing still, and its image, its Sabian symbol, is an Easter sunrise service. So that's great. New morning, renewal of hope, sharing a dream, dramatic comebacks, inner vitality, winning out over outer circumstance, and it's exactly squaring Venus right now. And Venus's image is rich and poor alike emerge uh, in a joyous uh, rain shower, you know, a joyous rebirth celebration. We go, oh, so we. We're voting for that. I hear that. And yeah. then we don't have much time left, but first I want to thank you for joining us to give us your time. Uh, but I just want to point out that a lot of people are saying that uh, uh, the candidates that are running on the Democratic side, uh, when some people are telling me, oh, Joy, you should vote for Hillary because she's a woman. No. <laughs> and I'm saying, you know what? She has to be the right woman. It's not about her femininity or her gender. It's whether she has the right. And this is the thing. When Hillary talks, I don't feel her. She doesn't evoke a feeling in me. But when Bernie speaks, he makes me feel him. I feel what he says. And so I'm all for Bernie right now. I just wanted to put that out there. And I, I wanted to thank you for joining us. Um, right. And, and just the last thing, it's not about man, woman. It's about Mars, Venus. Ah. Mm -hmm. So who's Mars and who's Venus? Well, we want Mars and Venus equal in all of us, you know, oh. and, and we want Venus initiating Mars because Mars by itself is militarism that destroys the world. And mm. <clears throat> Venus that sounds is, like uh, Hillary. Also what Bernie's saying, um, <laughs> you know, we can, this is how we're being snookered and here's what we can do. Right. Um, and yeah, no, it's an against all odds, perfect trickster kind of dynamic. It's, it's fabulous. And, and just a little pitch this week on the Visionary Activist Show, I will have Makana on, who is a great Hawaiian musician who's just written a fantastic, uh, Google him on YouTube, fantastic, um, you know, kind of ode, rousing ode theme anthem for Bernie. Thank it's, you. Uh, really great. Thanks so, so much. Thank you, yeah. Caroline, Thank for you. joining us. I Thank really you, appreciate Caroline. it. And I'm sorry I Pleasure. missed you when you were here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. More, more in perpetuity. Thank, thank you. Thank All right. You. Thank you. Take care. All righty. Bye.
All right. That was Caroline Casey joining us. Um, so now we're going to move on. Yeah, I think you had another characteristic to share with us about Pisces women. Pisces women are also said to be caring. <laughs> and after a recent trip to Israel, Pisces co-host Vika Aronson took a careful look at her own heritage and her identity as a woman in the following piece. A Jewish marriage in medieval Europe sounded like this. All Jewish women are expected to become wives. My father picked out a boy for me to marry. I was betrothed to the moneylender's son right after my 12th birthday. Father introduced me to the boy at his bar mitzvah. He recited his Torah portion very nicely, but he seemed so boring. Also, I can't stop thinking about Rivka and Avraham. My sister Rivka couldn't give Avraham a child. They tried for years. Finally, after three years, Avraham begged the rabbis to let him leave Rivka for Tzipporah. Avraham wanted to have children, and Tzipporah was not yet married, and she is more beautiful than my sister. Avraham begged the rabbis to let him leave Rivka, and even though the Talmud tells us a man must wait ten years to see if his wife is barren, they let Avraham break the law because his father is an elder in the Kahal. Rivka cries to me and tells me, Never marry, sister, not even the moneylender's son. He will surely break your heart. A Jewish marriage in the shtetl sounded like this. There wasn't a wedding in Duziat that didn't last for at least two days. Ours was no different. It lasted three whole days. We invited the entire shtetl to our wedding, and most of everyone came. We only needed two men to witness Moshe and I sign the ketubah, of course, but there were probably 200 stuffed into that tiny synagogue. Actually, they didn't all fit. The shulmans and the zelixons had to wait outside and watch through the window while my husband presented the ketubah to me. My husband. My husband, Moshe Lieb. <laughs> The tables were set up in our yard, groaning with delicacies, and at the center was a very long, braided and decorated challah. The big moment arrived. The canopy was ready, the klezmer arrived, headed by the fiddler, following them came the wedding party, and after them the whole shtetl, each one holding a lit candle. Drums and a trumpet accompanied them, and I could still hear the sounds. I felt so important. Moishe must have felt important, too. Marriage is such a huge mitzvah. One of the biggest we can make, second to having Jewish children, which, of course, Moishe and I will have. And, of course, it makes me feel that much more important that they'll be Jewish because they'll be born of me, Sarah Gertzman. <laughs> Sarah Lieb. Mrs. Sarah Lieb. A modern-day Jewish marriage sounds like this. Right foot. Where's your right foot? You know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you ready? Both of us and together? No, just you. Just Heart. Mazel tov. If you ask an American woman to describe her ideal mate, she might say, good-looking, charming, kind, smart, funny, maybe even rich. If you ask a Jewish-Israeli woman to describe her ideal mate, she might say something like this. In my community of, uh, of modern Orthodox Judaism, you have a lot of emphasis on finding someone who's like a really 
who's sort of righteous and who shares your belief and is as passionate as you are about um, about your religion. And of course, there's like this idea of someone who's going to be a good Jewish boy and he's going to be handsome and he's going to be a gentleman and it's going to be really cute and you're going to know from the beginning because... Sometimes Jewish marriage in Israel sounds like this. This is an interfaith marriage. It's the wedding of Mahmoud Mansour and Morel Malka, a Jewish Muslim union in Israel from 2014 that made international news. And Lehava, an Israeli organization that objects to any personal or business relationships between Jews and non-Jews, showed up to the wedding to protest the marriage. Some right-wing Jewish protesters said things like this. I'm not talking about her. She's of no interest to us. She's already converted to Islam. Even though she converted, she's still Jewish, and so are her children. But she will come to us in a few years asking for help. She'll come beaten. really insightful thing New York Times columnist Shmuel Rosner had to say about Jewish intermarriage in Israel earlier this year. In some ways, this gets at a question at the heart of the state of Israel. The this that he was referring to is the book Border Life by Dorit Rabinian. This was a book that came out in 2014, and it's a Jewish-Palestinian love story that stirred up a lot of controversy across Israel. Here's Shmuel Rosner again. We account for one-fifth of one percent of the world's population. Jews in Israel are a tiny minority in a vast Muslim region. And in other countries, we're a tiny minority among Christians. The Jewish fear of demographic calamity is well-founded and deeply embedded in the Jewish psyche. Did you guys catch that last part? Let's hear that last part again. The Jewish fear of demographic calamity is well-founded. We know that in bad times we're persecuted, and so our ability to thrive as a distinct group is challenged. And we know that in good times, when Jews are welcomed and integrated, our ability to thrive as a distinct group is challenged in a different way. The creation of a Jewish state was supposed to address both of these challenges, giving us a place where we're the majority in power, saving us from hatred and discrimination, and giving us a place where we're the majority culture, saving us from assimilation. There have been complications, but as a rule, it's worked. Jews in Israel are safe from persecution and, unlike our brethren in other countries, do not assimilate. We can't assimilate because we're about 80% of the population. And we don't intermarry because the vast majority of other citizens of Israel are Arabs, with whom we have contentious relations. And even then, intermarriage between Jews and non-Jews isn't even legally possible. Not even legally possible. Huh. Well, I did some research on this whole illegal intermarriage thing and found out that, yeah, it's true. Unions between Jews and non-Jews in Israel aren't legally recognized by the state. Here's how it works. There are several officially recognized religious communities in Israel, including Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. Marriage in each community is governed by each of the community's own religious authorities. And the religious authority for the Jewish community is the chief rabbinate and the rabbinical courts. 
In the early years of the Jewish state, in 1953 to be exact, a marriage and divorce law was passed. This law said that marriage and divorce for Israeli Jews can only be performed through an Orthodox religious ceremony. So those interested in reform, conservative, or civil marriage, in the case of one spouse not being Jewish, had to marry outside Israeli borders. An Orthodox law defines a Jewish person as having a Jewish mother. In other words, if you have a Jewish father, you're not considered Jewish, and you can't marry a Jew within Israeli borders. It's been reported in recent years that 20% of Israeli Jews are choosing not to marry in Israel through the Orthodox rabbinate. Instead, they're marrying in nearby Cyprus, which sounds exotic to me, or some other location. So many reject the anti-intermarriage law. It's really controversial. Mostly, it seems, because it doesn't allow Jews with Jewish mothers to marry Jews with Jewish fathers, or a Jewish grandparent, for that matter. But when it comes to Jews marrying outside the faith completely, it seems to get less controversial. When it comes to true intermarriage, it does seem to be more clear-cut. Israel is a Jewish and democratic state, and it's always trying to think about how those two um, identities come together. And so when we do talk about diversity and about different kinds of people coming together, when you're talking about um, marriage and starting a family, then the ideal would be to have different kind of Jews coming together. Um, people love diversity between Jews and Arabs in the workplace, in culture, in friendships. I have a very good Arab friend. She learns with me in the same classes in hospitals. There's a lot of um, integration in that sense. Um, but if you're asking about relationships, then sort of that stays within the Jewish people a lot of times. If people here will start marrying each other, you say it will bring peace? Yeah. I don't know. Do you think that it would happen for you to be with a an Arab? Uh, I don't know. If I'll fall in love with an Arab, I'll marry him, but I, I don't know. You think it's unlikely? Yeah, it's unlikely. I don't know. First of all, I don't know what will happen. Uh, I feel that here in Israel, many people are still very uh, religious in a way. You have Muslims that are very religious. You have Jews that are very religious. So if you're not connected to your religious side, it will be very, very easy for you, I think, because you will not feel the need to bring it in. And then you can just consider yourself, okay, I'm a person, he's a person, no religion is involved. But when you are connected to the religious side, it's not an easy thing to do because you're coming from two different belief systems. And then one of my interview subjects remembered she was speaking to an American audience. It sounds like you're kind of worried that you gave off a certain impression, but what do you want the world to be clear about, about this? It sounds like we're really... <laughs> like racist? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we sound really racist, but the situation here in Israel is so complicated. It's really easy to judge people by things like that, but when you live in a world that, what can you do? Most of the tourists are Muslims here anyway. So you have to consider that before you marry or date someone because you don't you can't really know you can't really trust them because that situation is like that
then I brought up the subject of assimilation. As Shmuel Rosner pointed out, assimilation is a real existential fear that many Jews have around intermarriage. Do I think that it's uh, the demise of the Jewish people? I'm sort of still making up my mind about what I think about all the different, um, how broad the definition of Judaism has become. I know that in America it's considered um, diversity and interpretation and something that's very beautiful and inclusive. And that's a big, uh, it's a big difference in, in perception of things. And I'm somewhere in the middle between those things because I am a big believer in, uh, in orthodoxy and in marriage within the faith and in keeping the Jewish people together and sort of protecting this small nation that we have. And on the other hand, I don't really see myself in the position to outright, you know, say that I'm the only person who has it right and everybody else has it wrong. Intermarriage will eventually will take religion aside. So in time, there won't be any Jews. It will take a while, but eventually, if you stop teaching your kids what does it mean to be Jewish, if you stop... Um, Mary in Mary in Jewish world, then eventually it's gonna stop, and that's I think that's what she was saying. But then maybe one thing is, is solved because you won't need any Jewish state because there won't be any Jews. Uh, but again, if you ask yourself why why did we stay here? Why two thousand years after we were exiled um, around the world, we were still Jewish? It's because because I didn't marry um, others. My Jewish marriage would sound like this. I have this phrase stuck on repeat in my head. In time, there won't be any Jews. There won't be any Jews. There won't be any Jews. My big existential dilemma summed up in six words. There won't be any more Jews. I'm in love with someone. We're in a relationship, and he's not Jewish. We talk about getting married. And I talk to my parents about marrying him, and he talks to his family about marrying me. And again, he's not Jewish. And it's really hard for me. I didn't even realize how hard. I didn't know how heavy this existential weight was until I was talking to one of my interview subjects. We were talking about intermarriage, a topic I chose to research as a strictly intellectual pursuit, or so I thought. And I got all choked up and started to cry. The weight of this, there won't be any more Jews stuff, just came pouring out. And thank God my surprise at my tears and utter foolishness put the crying to an immediate end. But again, it's hard. And it probably doesn't make sense to you if you're not Jewish. It probably sounds backwards and old-fashioned and un-American or something. But it's real. So this whole thing has been me hopefully showing you a little something about Jewish marriage and intermarriage in Israel and indulging me and listening to this because I think making this project may have released some of that existential weight I've been carrying around. The weight that all of us Jewish women have been carrying around with us from biblical times to medieval times to the times of the diaspora and beyond. I'm the flight that you get on International First class seat on my lap, girl Riding comfortable 
The Israeli women you heard in this piece include Elisheva Ben David, a warm-hearted, generous, young Israeli woman who is studying communications at university. You're welcome on the radio anytime, girl. You also heard Orna Simchi, a strong and passionate Israeli woman who works as a tour guide and loves her job. And the last woman will remain anonymous. I'll just say, she's also a lovely young lady. Thanks to Bridget McGuire Colton and Claire Fry for their beautiful voice acting. Bridget played the medieval woman and Claire was the Jewish woman from the shtetl. Special thanks to J.C. Howard for helping me brainstorm and clarify my thoughts around this piece and for being the voice of the New York Times op-ed columnist Shmuel Rosner. J.C. is actually the special person in my life I mentioned before. So thanks to him also for bearing with me in this project where I exposed possibly a little too much about our relationship. For Full Circle, I'm Vika Aronson. Talk dirty to me. You don't end things with an ending tone. Even that, sent from my iPhone. Sent from my iPhone. You have to say it with an end to it. Give me, Hold give on. Me. Can you sing it? Make it sound. <clears throat> In some ways, this gets at a question at the heart of the state of Israel. Jews account for one-fifth of one percent of the world's population. That's awesome. That's really good. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> That's fine. This is Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA, and you are listening to Pisces Women on the Air. You just heard Ritual Rewind by Vika Aronson. Pisces women are said to be artistic, and with that, I want to share my own art with you. But first, a song from Santana that captures the spirit of Pisces. Got a black magic woman Got a black magic woman I've got a black magic woman Got me so blind I can see That she's a black magic woman She's trying to make a devil out of me Don't turn your back on me, baby Pisces woman. Pisces is the 12th sign of the zodiac, but because it brings together many of the characteristics of the other zodiac signs, it can also be thought of as a circular or not having a beginning or an ending. Pisces is born between February 19th and March 20th. The Pisces woman is spiritual intuitive, sensitive, caring, and considers the needs of others often over her own. The Piscean woman is mysterious, 
sensual, romantic, imaginative, idealistic, and a daydreamer. Like the rivers and seas this sign swims in, the Pisces woman have deep emotions and strong undertoes in their personalities. Pisces is ruled by Neptune, the ancient god of the sea, and her intuition runs deep. Like the stormy sea, her emotions are complex and changeable. Her challenge is to discern between essential truths of spirit and mere mirage. In astrology, Neptune represents glamour, mystery, deception, and illusion. Pisces women often sense and feel things that other less sensitive people miss. They often detect unspoken or subtle things and can be skilled at subconsciously reading signals from others, for instance, body language. Powerful intuition and vivid mind such as this could be applied in directions like creative artist, emotional healer, or businesswoman. Often described as the Zodiac's sexiest women, Pisces are ultra-feminine and many times highly attractive. In relationships, most Piscean women are laid back and relaxed. This leads to an easygoing, relaxed relationship. A pacifist by nature prefers not rocking the boat unless there's something to gain by doing so. Her relationships are imaginative and sensitive and very emotional. So she needs a lover who can safeguard her and provide a sense of security. Generous in her relationships, evoking the bounty of the oceans, running the risk of giving too much. Her best partner is one who can inspire her, protect her, and when required, ground her fantasies. In love, a Pisces woman expects magic and mystery, like the watery, wonderful world of the deep blue sea. She loves being in love. Nothing makes the Pisces woman feel more complete than being in love. She is a faithful lover and devoted partner. At first glance, it may appear that Pisces is too soft and feminine to fend for herself. But assumption is an illusion. Just like 
the dreamy world where she often escapes. Pisces has a deep well of personal strength, resilience, and capability. Pisces can be resourceful and is certainly strong enough to stand on her own two feet with assistance. The only thing she requires is direction. Once she discovers her true path, Pisces becomes a formidable force. Like the salmon fighting to swim upstream, that stamina and persistence is just one surprising ability a Pisces woman has, often cloaked beneath her gentle facade. No one fully understands a Pisces woman. You only get a glimpse of what she wants you to see and hides the rest from your curious eyes. She may be chatty one moment and then silent and withdrawn the next. When hurt, she may retreat into the cold depths of her pain. But her forgiving nature will see her back to her warm self soon enough. Pisces doesn't hold grudges, even if she wanted to. Her fluid nature defies such blocking of channels vital for her very existence. Just remember that her sensitivity to gestures and all those little things communicated without words are more important to her than anything you might say. Your actions are what she'll believe, not your words. So be careful how you treat her. If you bestow her with love and respect, honor her feelings and the many things she does for you, you'll have a long-lasting relationship that can withstand any tests tossed your way. Acra Marine is the stone associated with Pisces. In addition, amorous, bloodstone, jade, rock crystal, sapphire, and ruby are other stones associated as well. The water lily and white poppy are the Pisces flowers, and the willow and fig are the trees of Pisces. At this time, I invite all of you to take a look at the word Piscean. Go ahead, take a look. You should see the word sea and the word ocean. You say you don't see it? Well, I see it. 
Perhaps I see it because I am a Piscean woman traveling through the deep blue sea, moving at a pace familiar to me, surrounded by water and schools of fish, freedom uninhibited in this sea of bliss. This is Zakia G.E. Capehart for Full Circle. <laughs> wow. Thanks for that, Zakia. You're listening to Full Circle on KPFA uh, 94.1 FM, Pisces Ladies' Night. Before Zakia's piece, The Pisces Woman, you heard Carlos Santana with Black Magic Woman. So astrology tells us Pisces women are generous. And our board operator tonight, um, the powerful Pisces woman, Mickey Mays, generously offers gr- congratulations and appreciation to the women of KPFA. After receiving the privilege of being accepted to the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, I had the blessing of meeting and working with a number of talented women. I wanted to document some of their stories, so as a video producer, I put together a show entitled KPFA, The X Factor, with Mary Berg, Erica Bridgman, Amelia Gonzalez-Garcia, and Andrea Lewis. I enlisted my friend Jerry Lange, a pioneer African-American broadcaster who hosted a national TV talk show way before Oprah to conduct the interviews. The following is a little piece of nostalgia. Hello, I'm Jerry Lange and I'm here today with some very wonderful ladies who are in radio of all things. Something we thought was going to die when TV came about, well it didn't and it's bigger than ever. And both figuratively and uh, literally, women are heard more and more on radio. And we're better than KPFA, because after all, that is the premier listener-sponsored station right here in our Bay Area. And we're going to be meeting them now. First, Erica Bridgman is a, a graduate, the KPFA Apprenticeship Program. And uh, Amelia Gonzalez, who is the director of the KPFA uh, Apprenticeship Program. Andrea Lewis, who is co-host of The Morning Show, and Mary Bird, producer and host of a musical offering. Thank you, ladies, for joining us. Let's find out why you ladies chose radio. Mary, beginning with you, of uh, all the motivational things out here, why did you choose radio? Well, I kind of fell into it to start with, but I chose to stay with it. Uh, Increasingly, I'm aware of how powerful radio is. Mm-hmm. Uh, video is very powerful in, in the way that it takes away your own thought. Your, there's something about it. Mm-hmm. That, so you can't really think independently anymore. Mm-hmm. The, the visual plus the sound is really powerful in, in that particular way. But radio is powerful in that you hear someone, a chance phrase, and you can take the radio with you anywhere, and then you hear a phrase and it changes your life. And I know even, I have an early morning program and I'm not talking very much. I mean, it's early in and on commute time. So as I said, there's not as many people out there and they're half asleep many times as I would have been. Mm-hmm. And even so, it's moving to the point of what I can't really express to get letters from people sometimes and point to things that they say I said, I actually didn't say, but they picked up my meaning exactly and right. the words. I mean, when we're sitting in a room together, yeah. that's relatively easy to do, but yeah. how this voice comes across on the air, and then when I'm a listener, mm-hmm. and I hear mm-hmm. how that voice moves me, and I can take it anywhere. 
It's with me. I can go to the beach. I can wait in the doctor's office. I can have a little earphone. And I really think it's the most powerful tool that we have. I don't think radio is ever going away. Well, it's going away in many ways in that it's like TV in the largest business being taken over by mass media so that you get one voice. But at KPFA, we're fighting like mad. We really are fighting to keep all these voices. Here we are. We're four people. We're different, but we're all connected. And the station is full of people far more different than you can tell by just the four of us. And it's a place for women, too. Absolutely. And I can see that. We're for that. Andrea, how about you? What motivated you into radio? Well, it's also quite a surprise that I ended up in radio. My background was really in print journalism as both a writer and an editor. But I also have been a performer, a, a vocalist, oh. for most of my life, since mm-hmm. really about age six or so. So when the idea was suggested to me to do some commentaries mm-hmm. for the radio, which were basically taking my writing and just voicing them on the air, I started to think a little bit more about the idea of how connected that felt to me because I was bringing together both my writing, my editing skills, and my skills as a journalist, and my skills Mm -hmm. as a performer. So when the job for the Morning Show co-host came up, I didn't really think about it, but someone suggested to me that um, they thought I would be really good. So the more I thought about it, the more it sort of, I thought, boy, what a way to bring together these aspects of my life and I really do like I, I agree with many of the things Mary said that I think with your visual is there people can often size you up and make decisions about where you're coming from based on how they think you look and what that means exactly. and there's something really wonderful about uh, the anonymity of radio that people mm-hmm. just have to take you mm-hmm. at face value or voice value I guess mm-hmm. I should That's say right. and um, I really I really appreciate that that you really are invited into people's homes or their cars mm-hmm. on a regular basis and they invite you in and they can't sort of say oh you know yeah, she's right. this or <laughs> and she looks like this and I don't like that you know and I just really value that about Well, I think there's so much more importance attached to the voice because the person can't see you, you have to listen. And I do believe there's a spiritual quality to the voice. I think when a person is insincere, that comes across. Absolutely. When a person is sincere, they gee, I just, you know, and they're drawn to that voice. I think it's so much more realistically. If you look at TV, if somebody, you know, their hair is done right and they're dressed really fabulous, there's absolutely nothing else there. You know, what are you doing? You waste a lot of time saying, see, what did I waste this time for? There's nothing happening with this show, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. what I really think is uh, the differences between these two. Mm-hmm. But, um, Amelia, what about you? Well, very similar to uh, Andrea uh-huh. and Mary. I had traveled in Latin America, so mm-hmm. I actually felt that that it was the one medium that was readily accessible no matter where you were, mm-hmm. uh, where, even when you were traveling. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one part that I really appreciated and I mm-hmm. learned a lot about the different cultures as I traveled throughout South America. And it's fairly inexpensive. Mm-hmm. So in terms of listening and reaching on the community activists uh, prior to my radio career, so I just really thought that it was a, a great way to organize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, because um, mm-hmm. you could actually just yeah, multiply the auditorium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, so, we're going to take over these governments. What do they take out first? Exactly. Okay, Erica, what about you? What motivated you toward radio more than, for instance, you could have gone into television production, whatever. 
Um, radio being accessible. I mean, I remember just as a kid growing up, I came from a, a single parent family, and so it was, you know, our means were very kind of um, short. And But having a radio, I mean, that was just the thing. And I just remember um, going to a lot of adolescent angst and it was the radio, I was listening to the radio, whether it was the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered, it's so funny, but I Sally Jesse Raphael used to be one in the morning uh, radio therapist. And I remember hearing her way before she went on TV and all that. And listening to this conversation about relationships and all this, and it was just intriguing. And so I was, it stayed with me. Well, you know, there once was a women's department at KPFA. Is that still there? No. No, no it's What happened I, to it? Well, interesting. I, I don't know because I wasn't there, mm-hmm. but I, I actually directed the women's department for mm-hmm. a few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, subsequent to my tenure there, I guess there were two other department heads. And I think it was part of what, Mary? You were there. Well, <laughs> well Mary? Was yeah, there. there were two things. There were probably many things. Mm-hmm. But it came around a time when Pacifica management, increasingly, by the way, over the years, since the late mm-hmm. 80s on, they have wanted to move the station in a very different direction. Yeah. Not a voice for the voiceless, right. but something. Right. But a cash cow, really. Yeah. And that's why we're fighting all of that. But they abolished the departments then. They had this very expensive consultant who told them what to do and also sold them uh, this package audio graphics that told them what was happening, which was not too reliable, really. But as a result, they really abolished it. They didn't tell anybody. Now, concomitant with that, they were treating people extremely badly. So the people they had, the, the department heads, were half-time people expected to do full-time jobs, and uh, increasingly it wasn't working out. People people can't do that no. so the person that was in charge that was supposed to be the women's department head it was actually abolished there was no department at the time this woman had the job so it was a little bit so the morale bad. went down huh? morale went down yeah. and uh internacy's struggles were fomented largely by pacifica but it's easy to do you know but I, I i certainly wasn't there i think i'm one of the newest people other than erica at kpfa but the women's energy at KPFA is extremely powerful, and I know there's a great example of just, um, or, you know, this month on International Women's Day, women basically organized, planned out the whole day of programming. We honored some of the Mary and the Anna Maria put together a program that honored one of the uh, programmers who, uh, Mama O'Shea, who passed away as ago, and then um, Leona Jacobs White also passed. So, oh um, and we basically kind of kicked all the men off the airways and mm-hmm. really. Um, just mm-hmm. did a, so the women at KPFA are still very powerful and strong in terms of not only their voices on the air, but behind the scenes and in what terms of that, what happens there. What are some of the problems and challenges that remain that you are still facing? Hmm. And I know there are other specific ones. Oh, I know that's right. the big thing Then within the station. And then within the station, yeah. what, what kind of challenges are you facing now? Oh, yeah, as women. Yeah, as women. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because there are a lot of women that are in uh, producing mm-hmm. and as hosts mm-hmm. and are in within the structure of KPFA. Mm-hmm. I actually was very, very um, inspired by the International Women's Day celebration that we had because mm-hmm. it went smoothly for yeah. the most part. Mm-hmm. And, and it was great to not have to pull women outside of KPFA that we had a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of resources within mm-hmm. that we could actually pull it off and, um, as well as we did. On the other hand, I do think it gave me food for thought mm-hmm. to think of 
not having a forum where we solely deal with women's issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something, but there's a room for that. Mm -hmm. okay. And there's a room for both of them. I think that we tend to mm -hmm. look at it as if they're mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And I think there's room for women to be producing shows that deal with issues beyond women's issues. But I think that there's also room for a forum to talk about what's directly affecting women mm -hmm. uh, in this day and age, especially with the new administration that we have, especially with some of the backlash that, we, that we're going to be facing. Suffering, facing. So all of that, I think there is, there is room for that. Mm -hmm. And I also think that um, KPSA is increasingly becoming this very unique and so a kind of station that it is. Everything else on the dial seems to be corporate driven. So mm -hmm. it's very hard, I think, for KPSA to meet the needs of all the listeners out there who want KPSA to be what they want it to be. And um, we do our best to try to keep everyone happy and do what we think we, we should be doing. But I think that's also another challenge because there aren't other stations out there like KPSA. No, there are not. And that's why it's so unique. That was Mickey Mays' look at the powerhouse, some of the powerhouse women of KPFA. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. The executive producer for Full Circle is Mickey Mays. Our technical director is Free Will and Frank Sterling. Your production consultant is me, Joy Moore. And you heard, you heard the lovely and powerful Pisces Nina Simone open and close tonight's show. Special thanks to Scorpio gentleman J.C. Howard for helping with the script tonight. Thanks again to a tech-savvy and do-it-all Pisces woman, Mickey Mays, Yay. who's been, she's been <laughs> over there on the board engineering the show tonight, too. She does it all. all right. I'd, I'd like to dedicate this last Nina Simone tune to a special Scorpio lady, Laura Gruberg, who loves Nina and has had a really rough day today. Lots of love and care to you, Groobs. We've been your hosts. I'm Vika Aronson. And I'm Joy Moore. And I'm Zakia G.E. Part. Stay tuned. La Una Baita is next.